Standard Issue for all women. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Standard Issue podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan and I'm not even angry, just really, really disappointed. Hmm. Maybe mm. a little bit angry. Bit of both. I'm Hannah Dunleavy and I now have nine books that I need to read over Christmas. Nine. It's too much. The time that I would have thought nine books was amazing. There's probably a time in my childhood that I was reading nine books simultaneously, but... Yeah. I might take a picture of the stack of unread books I have and uh, post it on the Standard Issue Instagram feed. I think we should all do the same. But then a lot of them, I need to read them because people bought them for me and they're going to ask me when I see them over Christmas what they were like. And some of them, they're books that people bought me last Christmas. So let's, I don't want them to know they're in the pile. Let's not take pictures of them and put them yeah. on. Yeah, I got you a book for your birthday. Where's the fucking review? <laughs> and I'm Jen Offord and I am enjoying a Marmite renaissance. It's a, a personal renaissance because it's, I mean, it's never gone out of fashion in my house. No, it's a personal renaissance. It's just because I forgot that I liked it. And then the other day I was like, well, I fancy some Marmite. And now it's just like the best thing ever. That's a bit like the um, toasted sandwich maker thing from the space, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. I forgot about toasted got, Exactly. <laughs> then you'll have about five and then you'll go, nah, I'm done. It takes too long to clean the fucker. I'm sorry, you clean them. I've got cheese in mine that's about 20 years old. <laughs> Later on, I chat to Dr Yvonne Neubauer of Mary Stokes UK about why its new campaign, hashtag smash abortion stigma, is so important. We speak to comedian Amy Vrika about her show, The Year My Vagina Tried to Kill Me. We've all had one. Mm. In Jenny Off the Blocks, I'm awarding my very own Sports Personality of the Year. And we... Explosion! Watch... Explosion! 2012. Falling buildings! In... Tidal waves. Dunleavy Does Disaster. Explosion. But first, big changes, an unusual use of sports equipment, and big ups to excellent women. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph. Things fall apart. The centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Still, we won the argument, eh? Yeah, it wasn't um, wasn't great, was it, guys? <laughs> I've had better Thursday nights, Fridays in general, yeah. Our listeners in other parts of the UK may have things to celebrate, though. And boy, do I envy them. As election night had some big news outside of the race to be Prime Minister. But first, let's talk about the time five-year-old me hung on my mum's leg in a hospital corridor for an hour, screaming my head off as she tried to explain why it was really important that I stayed and she left. I don't know what's made me think about that now. That's weird, Hannah. Where's that come from? Anyway, Scotland. (laughs) Good night for the SNP has reignited calls for another independence referendum. And given that Brexit is 100% happening, it seems the result may well be different this time around. Why can't I come with you? I don't want to stay here on my own. (laughs) Meanwhile, one of the biggest and least examined stories of the night, and I get it, there's a lot going on, is the victory of John Finucane in Belfast North. The son of the human rights lawyer Pat Finucane, whose murder by the UDA remains one of the most notorious events of the Troubles, is now the first non-loyalist MP to hold the seat. And whether you take that to mean that Northern Ireland is gearing up to fight for its rights in a post-Brexit Britain, or that it's a death knell for tribal politics in the region, I think we can all agree that depriving the DUP's deputy leader, Nigel Dodds, of a voice in Parliament can only be a good thing. Absolutely. No, we... So you've no doubt noticed there's a metric shit ton of blame and inviting flying around at the moment. 
Some of it is incredibly valid, although I'm not sure how much of it, if any, is helpful. But, you know, more people didn't vote for the Conservatives than did, and that is really something. And while I'm hoping for a big change in the Labour Party, and I'm fearful of the irrevocable changes to our country that Boris Johnson and his giddy band of douchefucks will wreak, on the ground is where we can all make real change. Individual and community actions matter more than ever. Division emboldens and fuels these pricks. Empathy is their anathema. And so we dig deep and start doing. Add the local food bank to your Christmas list and make that Christmas list a monthly thing. Grab a hot drink for someone on the streets. Ask them if they need warm socks or a sandwich. Volunteer somewhere if you can. Call out racism or any bigotry when you see or hear it. Join the Labour Party to help choose the next leader. The most vulnerable in our society, and we are a society no matter the election result, just got even more so. Let's do what we can for each other, for the many, and do it with love. Hear, hear. Did you think you can feel any angrier this week? I mean, it's been a test. (laughs) (laughs) I've been surprised with the sheer variety of people I've actually been angry with over the weekend. Yeah, and and the ones that I haven't been angry with as well over the last month. Like, you know, what we say in the other week about John Major and that. Mm. Well, buckle up, because Harvey Weinstein's back in action. Oh, God. Yeah. Weinstein appeared in court last week at a hearing in which his bail sum was raised from $1 million to $5 million, aided by a Zimmer frame with tennis balls inexplicably stuck on the end. As if, I don't know, it's almost like it was to provide some sort of grip. It's quite common for people to have things on the end of their Zimmer frame Well, no, I know, but they're usually like those stoppers. Well, perhaps he'd lost them. Well, anyway, I, I'm, I'm coming to that. He's a wealthy man. I'm, <laughs> again, I'm coming to that. It was almost as if he couldn't afford a functioning Zimmer frame. Or indeed a coat that fit him properly. Far be it from me to suggest it's all a load of nonsense, like all those people did about his victims when they started coming forward. Though some have suggested there was an element of theatre to Weinstein's appearance designed to give the impression of a frail old man made unwell by his ordeal. Did you, uh, when I saw it, the first, you know what the first thing that popped into my head was? Uncle Junior. Yeah. You know when he he decides to pretend to have Alzheimer's so that they can't take him to court? Yeah. And then he gets knocked down the stairs and ends up with Alzheimer's. Yeah, but what, what I thought was obviously that coat, which is so oversized. I mean, I wear an oversized coat, but Weinstein has upped the game considerably. But it, it looks like, you know, the before and after of like Slim Fast or something. <laughs> and like, he's clearly been on the shit yourself thin diet. Well, let's hope so. Although I, I'm rather worried he hasn't been. There's still a criminal trial for rape and assault charges, which starts on January the 6th which follows a settlement reached between Weinstein and his accusers for the sum of $25 million to be shared betwixt the 30 actresses and former employees. It's not actually that much money when you consider how many careers have effectively been ended by this. Oh, and Weinstein personally didn't actually foot the bill. It's funded by insurance firms representing the Weinstein Company. That's classy, isn't it? Spare a thought for Weinstein, though, eh? No. Mick, come on, he feels the forgotten man. He told the New York Post last week, apart from all the other stuff, he's done a lot for women, he reckons. Mm. I made more movies directed by women and about women than any filmmaker. And I'm talking about 30 years ago. I'm not talking about now when it's Vogue. I did it first. I pioneered it, he said. It's almost like he needed to have more access to women. (laughs) (laughs) It all got eviscerated because of what happened. What did happen, Harvey? My work has been forgotten, he said. I feel pretty sorry for him, lads. What about you? No. 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 
Well, let's say yes just to keep you happy, but also no. <laughs> I mean, you're not for clarity. It will not make me happy. God, do you remember that time we've discovered a lot more new things about Jen? <laughs> Awkward. I cannot tell you, listener, how much she's smiling. <laughs> Anyone fancy some good news? Oh, yes. Fuck yes, yeah, right? Well, this week it's coming in the form of us tipping our hats to some smashing birds in our Women of the Year nods. And I would like to start by making Caroline Criado Perez my Woman of the Year because her book, Invisible Women, is a genuinely seminal piece of work. And I understand the irony of the word seminal. But whereas I might once have used it as a cheap joke, and don't get me wrong, I definitely am <laughs> doing that here, Invisible Women has made me think about things like the roots of words and why I can never reach the fucking handrail on the underground in a way that I genuinely haven't before. And as someone who spends 100% of my work life and about 75% of my non-work life thinking about women's rights, you know, God knows what it's done to other people. Actually, I do know what it's done to other people. For the first time I can actually remember, women aren't just moaning that the queues for the women's toilets are longer while standing in long toilet queues. They're doing it in articles and on Twitter and taking those complaints to the organisations responsible for a woeful lack of toilet provision for women in many public spaces. And don't get me wrong, not having to near pee yourself every time you go to the theatre is important. Mm -hmm. But there's some way more startling revelations in the book about heart attack symptoms, about how safe we are in the cars we drive, even how more likely we are to slip and break an arm in winter. Jesus Christ. Because the world is not designed for us. Something Caroline's book is waking people, including many, many men, up to. It's won a shitload of awards, and it should. And if you haven't read it, I, I cannot recommend it enough. Books that change the way that we look at the world are a rare thing indeed, and this is definitely one of them. She's a bit like Noel Edmonds, isn't she? She's always up to something. <laughs> but unlike Noel Edmonds, yeah. she's actually up to something that makes genuine change in this country. I don't know, make cosmic ordering. Well done, Caroline. OK, my turn. At 16, she's technically still a girl rather than a woman, but blimey O'Reilly, Greta Thunberg could well be the hero we all need right now. Time magazine certainly thinks so and has made her its 2019 Person of the Year. Whether you agree with absolutely everything the young Swedish environmental activist on climate change has said, her chutzpah, determination and clear desire for a better world properly shows up a lot of actual grown-ups. That she gets trolled by the male pale and stale for, you guessed it, not being pretty enough, not smiling enough, not going to school enough, is a sign she is yanking some chains. And there's a certain male, orange and stale, who she has completely rattled. Yep, Satsuma Dick Splash, cyberbully extraordinaire and President of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump, cannot stand Greta. That's right, the most powerful human on the planet finds time to troll a 16-year-old girl trying to save that planet. And you know what? She trolls him right back and it is a delight. My favourite example is this. Trump tweets that Greta's clearly got anger management issues and needs to just watch an old-fashioned movie with a friend and chill. Greta immediately changes her Twitter bio to a teenager working on her anger management problem, currently chilling and watching a good old-fashioned movie with a friend. It's nuts, isn't it? Absolutely nuts. Like the ire that a 16-year-old girl draws from like all of these people. Yeah. I'm going to be an absolute creep and give friend of the show Aisha Hazarika a nod for Woman of the Year. The Labour Party's descent into abject chaos is clearly a result of many, many things and it's too simplistic to say it was Brexit, 
it was anti-Semitism, although I'm pretty sure neither of the above have done them any favours. As a political commentator, Labour Party member and former Labour Party advisor, Aisha's pretty well-placed to have a view on what some of those issues might be. And indeed, she has, only to incur the wrath of an absolute rabid momentum following. Turns out she was absolutely right, something she certainly won't take any joy in, and has continued to bang the drum for reform in the party and of the media, which gave a platform to precisely the extremist twats who have been hounding her simply for having different opinions. She hasn't cowed in the face of that, she's kept going, she's been absolutely all over our TVs and newspapers, including in her own column for the Evening Standard, which she landed this year, and I suspect and very much hope she will continue to do so. She's a cracker. Yeah. There are a couple of other people that I thought would be worth a mention because, you know, I'm not very good at picking a favourite of anything. You, the booker, the Turner Prize. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I also wanted to mention Samira Ahmed for taking the torch from Carrie Gracie and refusing to be paid less than a male counterpart. However, things like that end, it doesn't matter. It was the fact that she did it that she is was, mighty impressive. She was mm. joyfully fierce. Yeah, yeah, she really was. And also Lady Hale for saying no when the country most needed it. And stopping a no-deal Brexit in October. I mean, we could look now and say we're fucked. But we would be way more oh, fucked yeah. right now if she hadn't done what she did. So she also inspired a, one of my favourite T-shirts. So, Yes, it's a great T-shirt with a sparkly spider. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. On a politics note, Jess Phillips, Stella Creasy and Rosie Duffield, because wowzers have they and the women like them got their work cut out now. I couldn't be more chuffed that they all still have MP after their name, given their tireless work for women. Jess Phillips's devotion to getting the domestic abuse bill through Parliament, Stella Creasy standing up for women's reproductive rights in the face of absolutely vile abuse, and Rosie Duffield for keeping hold of Canterbury and that powerful, brave speech about her own experiences with coercive control. And a big shout out to all the brilliant women involved in Alliance for Choice, London Irish Abortion Rights Campaign and the Abortion Support Network. While we're on politics, we lost a number of really, yeah. really good constituency experience MPs, well, experienced yeah, women. Yeah. So I think it's worth mentioning Paula Sheriff, who mm. also put up oh, with the most amazing. extraordinary abuse and was laughed at by our Prime Minister for doing it. She lost her seat. Caroline Flynn, who yeah. I have to say I don't agree with on Brexit at all. But Mick and I interviewed her. And what I will say about her is that was a sincerely held view and I can't, can never criticise someone for doing what they genuinely think was best for their community. She was a great constituency MP. She lost Anna Subri, who has taken the one of the worst amounts of abuse, is now gone from Parliament. And there are other women that I just can't remember now, but I think, I'm not saying they're my women of the year, but I think it's worth mentioning that Parliament will be a poorer place without them. It will, and so will a lot of their constituencies. Their constituencies, absolutely. Um, which I think is, yeah, worth... It's really sad. Point. It yeah. is really sad. It's sad for them, and it's sad for, yeah. Their communities, It's sad, it's sad yeah. for all of us. Oh, and also Emma Dent Code, who had Kensington, obviously she's gone, and she was tweeting incredible let's all stay together, we're all still in this together stuff after the election. I mean, that is madness that in a constituency where Grenfell happened that the Conservatives got voted back in. Yeah. Take us away from politics, Jen. I will. I would like to give an honourable mention to... 
I'm such a creep. It's all people that have been on the podcast, but we've just had lots of excellent people on the podcast. Anyway, She's creeping I, to us now, Hannah. I know. I'll it's, take it. Uh, I'm, I'm not making eye contact with her in case she says me. She's not. It's, 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 it's very awkward. She's not going to say that. It's not you. Sorry, Hannah. But, you know, obviously. Turns over table. In, in, in your own special way, uh, uh, I would like sorry. to give... An honourable mention to Yomi Adegaki and Liz UV Benene, authors of Slay in Your Lane, which is a book that highlighted issues faced by women of colour, particularly black women. It was published last year, but they've gone on to publish a follow-up journal this year and they're working on an anthology to give voices to more women of colour, and that's coming up next year. They've also taken on the BBC and won after it plagiarised their actual book title, in a separate marketing campaign this year. And I think, you know, to take to take on a corporation as massive as the BBC by two, like, really quite young women, I think that is seriously impressive, so good for them. Yep, absolutely, agreed. Sorry, I just nodded then. I should have actually said something out loud, yes. 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 You're in a podcast yes. for more than two years. <laughs> I know, it's because I live in Cambridge. We just quietly appreciate stuff. <laughs> more news next year. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the year when we celebrate something remarkable in a one-off sexyism of the week. Because seriously, happenings over in Finland are giving me the lady horn. Making it pretty high on my where to move to list, Finland's centre-left coalition government will comprise five parties all led by women after female transport minister Sanna Marin won a vote to be the next leader. Marin, just 34 years old, has been elected by her Social Democratic Party to replace the outgoing Prime Minister. Four out of five of the women in the coalition government are under 35. Yes, please. Wowzers. Yeah. It does get very dark in the winter, though. (laughs) You know, swings and roundabouts. All right, it's Janet. Sorry to interrupt your listening experience. If you like what we do here at Standard Issue and you want to keep hearing some excellent content made by excellent women, yeah, us, we know, you can do so by visiting our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Standard Issue and chucking some dollar our way. Thanks very much. Hello, we are joined in the studio by comedian Amy Vrika. Hello. Hello. And I'm also joined by Mick. Oi. And Jen. Hello. And we are here to have, well, kind of the same conversation we have quite a lot in a, why don't doctors take women seriously, but with a different funny woman. Amy, you are about to start touring with your show, The Year My Vagina Tried to Kill Me, which is a stand-up show. It was 2016, you know, see, vagina at least has great comic timing. (laughs) Can you tell us about how you finally discovered what it was that had been troubling you? Yeah, so I had had the symptoms of endometriosis since I started my period when I was about 12. And then I wasn't diagnosed until I was 22. I'd been going to the doctors for years with various things. Just a bare decade um, of pain. Yeah, just, you know, <laughs> just Darling, that you've cheeky show about it. <laughs> oh, So, yeah, and I, I didn't really get very far. I mean, I was misdiagnosed actually a lot. So I was told I had kind of IBS and cystitis a lot you know all of these different things at one point they thought I had Crohn's disease and what's that 
disease called gonorrhea um <laughs> i said that way too gleefully <laughs> look at her pretending she's never had a gonorrhea <laughs> oklahoma <laughs> Ah, gonorrhea, the musical. I bet, I bet that's out there somewhere. Yeah. Oh my God, if it isn't, hello, next project. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I had all of these things. They couldn't find out what, I think because I had loads of different symptoms in different areas um, and also because people just didn't believe me sometimes. It wasn't actually until I was reading a book by a woman with endometriosis and she described in a book how like day-to-day life felt and... I was like, that is exactly how I feel. So I had never heard anyone talk about it before. So from reading that book, I rang the doctors and I went in and I was like, I think I've got endometriosis. I don't think I could pronounce it that well then. Mm. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay, let's see. And then I did. I had a laparoscopy, which is like keyhole surgery, which is the only way they can actually definitely diagnose it and the only way they can see it because it doesn't show up on scans which is another big issue when it comes to getting diagnosed as well but yeah then they said you you were right um winning (laughs) so yeah well there is some victory in that regardless of whether or not it's actually bad news Mm -hmm. in a way the news is it's in your body not in your mind which is I think what a lot of women good to know yeah women are given the impression that it might be in their mind yeah and once you know what something is you can start dealing with it and managing Mm. it uh, rather than just like a constant guessing game and I'm wondering if, yeah, you're just going crazy, basically. And pain is relative, isn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm in worse pain than Mickey, for example, because (laughs) (laughs) mine is all up here. Uh, Mine's all in your head. (laughs) You you say something interesting in the video you made for the BBC about that. You said that you are a dramatic person, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you're not in pain, which I think is a really important point. Yeah, I think that being somebody that tended to kind of overly I I don't want to say overreact but you know yeah I'm very dramatic I can be very over the top so Amy is waving her arms around (laughs) so I think that that made me feel like you know in certain cases that's fine but when it came to my health it was kind of like dismissed as like oh well you're just like being a overdramatic woman whereas actually I was like no this is actually something is actually going on but they I, the doctors and I guess a lot of other people managed to convince me that I was just being overdramatic, that my pain was kind of no worse than any other woman's pain. Um, but also, what's that? Because right. if we're all in pain, then that's not just okay. Like, that's still a problem, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 70% of people in chronic pain are women. Yeah, that's outrageous. Like... I didn't know that until you just said that, actually. That's really interesting. But why is that? Is that because we're not being taken seriously, because nothing's been done about it, or are we more predisposed? Do you see what I mean? They don't know, Jen. That's the problem. Mm. But what what we do know, and uh, we were talking about invisible women um, earlier in the Bush Telegraph, what we do know is that lots of drugs and things aren't even tested on women. So how effective they're actually being when women take them is another... Of of all painkillers on the market, eighty percent have only ever been tested on men or male rodents. But there is a there is a reason for that, which we've talked about before as well. Which yeah, is they don't give a shit. <laughs> well, it's it's very hard to get the insurance to test on women of childbearing age. I believe. 
Yeah, mm. but there's even more reason then to do it. It's like just because it's more expensive doesn't seem like a reason not to do it when of the people taking painkillers, 70% are women. It's just it's just baffling. But it's only recently that they started to research women's bodies. So that mm-hmm. whole you being dismissed as a hysterical woman. Yeah. Just, oh, it's so common. It's so common. And it, it actually, I was reading something the other day that said endometriosis is one of the oldest diseases mm, in the world. Yeah. Ages. So how is it still not, you know, being diagnosed not uh, the treatment is terrible you know there's not really any kind of management plan it's a chronic illness but I go to the doctors if I'm ill they will maybe do surgery on me or just tell me to like go and try yoga Um, (laughs) and so and then you kind of are discharged whereas with other chronic illnesses that affect men and women like asthma diabetes like there's you go back and you have checks and you, you get, yeah. you know, there's some kind of management and, and help along the way. Whereas with this, for some reason, there's none of that. You just have to learn yourself how to. Yeah, my friend has really bad endometriosis and she said that, yeah, when, once you fall out of the loop, you're out of the loop. Yeah. They don't just continue to monitor you, which you would think with an ongoing. And I, it, I think it's incurable, right? It, yeah. Yeah. At the minute, yeah. Sort of condition that they would just keep keep an eye on it. Those insinuations that you're being too dramatic, like, it can be really yeah. dramatic and really life-limiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, can I ask how easy the decision was? I mean, obviously, this is your life and you mm-hmm. also you are a comedian and you talk about your life. How easy was the decision to say, I'm actually going to put all of that on stage? I think I've always written about my life and quite autobiographical without even kind of thinking about it I guess I think a lot of stand-ups quite autobiographical Um, but not always true yeah that's true I mean I like the fact that people can come and decide whether they want it to be true or not it's true but you know people like distant relatives will come and watch and go it was really funny all made up, but re- and I'm like, yes, okay. Amy doesn't even have a vagina. <laughs> yeah. If you need to think that granddad, then that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that for me, the funniest things and the things I laugh at the most when watching other comedians is honesty and things coming from a place where you know you can relate to it. And I think that having been through it, it's it's almost easier to write jokes about things if they've actually happened because you know how you felt and so yeah that's where I've always started from and I didn't realize that I was writing jokes about endometriosis before I knew I had it so writing jokes about the symptoms that I was having and then when I got diagnosed it was like oh right this is I realized what a massive part of my life it had been that I'd already kind of started writing a show (laughs) before I knew what it was it's my go-to to write about myself and to try and be funny about things that I've struggled with. I think it's a, maybe a defence mechanism. It's the way that I deal with things. But it is not always easy. Sometimes when your job is to write about difficult things, it can be quite like, you you know, it's very self-indulgent the wrong word, but you spend a lot of time analysing yourself. and bit yeah. navel-gazy. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, actually, we've all done things where we've talked about stuff in our private life, in our or in our personal history, might be close to the mark, where we've put stuff out there, and uh, sometimes people get back to you, which is great because you think, okay, I've actually 
said something that that struck a chord with someone, mm-hmm. but also I've kind of well, maybe this is just me. I'm like, oh god, I got to think of something to say back now, <laughs> and I don't think I'm necessarily the right person to be your counsellor. Oh, I'm yeah. happy to put my experiences mm-hmm. out there. Have you had a lot of people coming to you? Yes, a lot of people, which is great because it yeah it shows that the show is is people are relating to it and it's helping them kind of open up about it and people ask for advice I think one thing I'm just always really careful with is letting them know I'm not a doctor so I can yeah put my experience out there well all you can ever do is say my experience is this this is how I've coped with it so if you want to take anything from that that's great Mm. but yeah I think it's really important that people know that I have no medical experience and also I'm not a counsellor so for me the thing that I would usually advise people is to go and find a doctor and a counsellor and speak to people about yeah. it. I would argue with you that I know you're not a medical professional, mm-hmm. but you've actually had a shit ton of medical experience. And actually that, I think we're in a, a position with illnesses like this that affect women, where women have to be self-diagnosing and have to be armed with that knowledge and have to be able to do that research or it just gets ignored or dismissed. So I actually think you've got quite a lot of medical experience. Yeah, I think... Put it in the uh, show, put like, uh, right at the top. <laughs> yeah. Medical experience. You want to uh, as a legal up, um, disclaimer, Amy is not a doctor. You want to open up one of those things that are going to be all the rage now for the next, certainly, five years, if not longer. Food banks. Uh, not just those, <laughs> the things where you can uh, chat to a GP online for £25. You want to do that? Can I ask how the word vagina, being in the title of your show, is affecting the audience that comes in are you are you scaring the men away <laughs> hopefully no <I'm> joking. <laughs> um I think what it does is it people who come to see it know straight away whether it's going to be for them or not I've had a lot of people go not for me um and that's absolutely <laughs> fine. In, that, in that voice <laughs> yeah, yeah that is the voice I imagine them saying uh-huh. it in. but then a lot of people have come and they've brought partners or people that like stand up that are a bit more open-minded. You know, it has been quite a mixed audience, which is great. But I think that I don't really want that... I don't really want audiences that aren't up for somebody saying yeah. a physical part of the body because it's a woman's. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it, it kind of weeds people out a bit. Um, the year my downstairs nearly came yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People bring their partners or, yeah, family members, and they're like, oh, wow, I... I didn't realize and I've kind of been dismissing you know my sister my partner whatever or not even dismissing but kind of not really taking it seriously until they see an hour of somebody lay out what it's actually like to live with this I mean you'd think their sister or the girlfriend telling them would be enough but um I think no I need a woman with a microphone (laughs) on the stage I think it's just easier for people to go come and watch this other woman talking about all this stuff than for them to have to sit when do you ever really sit down and go, okay, this is how I feel? Vagina or, hour, yeah. every Tuesday. <laughs> there should be. <laughs> we should start that. From six till seven, <laughs> vagina hour. Well, in the same way that it's sometimes easier to talk to strangers than it is to talk to your friends, I yeah. suppose it's pro- in many ways it's easier to hear it from a stranger than it is to hear do it. Do you only talk to strangers about your vagina? <laughs> <laughs> They're not strangers by the end of it. Maybe, but, um, <laughs> people would rather go to a help. Uh, like a support group necessarily than bother their friends with things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I know that you have been doing this and now you're kind of shutting down for Christmas Mm -hmm. and then you're starting up again in Cambridge. Hooray, where I live, so I can come and see you in the new year. But you will be in London at all, yes? Um, I'm working on it at the minute. Yeah, I've got a lot of things in the pipeline for next year, but I can't quite announce them yet. But if you keep an eye on my social media, then... You can find How out. How do we do that? So, um, have you heard of Twitter? No. Um, <laughs> I wish I hadn't heard of great Twitter. Thing. <laughs> just, no. just sniff out a bin fire and there it be. Um, I'm on Twitter, just Amy Fraker, Instagram Amy Fraker, and then Facebook Amy Fraker Comedian. So, yeah, follow me on there and... Yeah. And I presume you're, ordinary, you're doing your ordinary gigging at the same time as well. I am, Yes. Yes, so that's all over the place. Again, that'll be on social media and all the rest of it as well. But I am shutting down for the year very soon, so... (laughs) Vagina's closing up shop. Yeah. (laughs) Shut down for business. Thank you so much for your time, Amy. It's been really interesting. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Hello, I am joined on the phone by Dr Yvonne Neubauer, Associate Clinical Director for Mary Stopes UK. Hi Yvonne, thanks for chatting to us. Thanks for having me, Mickey. So tell us about the new Mary Stopes campaign, Smash Abortion Stigma. Mary Stopes International launched a new campaign called Hashtag Smash Abortion Stigma. And we are calling on people to break the silence around abortion and to champion the rights of women who access abortion care. We wanted to do this because in September of this year, we commissioned a YouGov study, an online study, Mm -hmm. to establish the views of about 2,000 women who are based in the UK, just to see what their thoughts about abortion were. Even though we already know that one in three women in the UK would have an abortion in their lifetime, it was interesting to see that only one in three of, of women would actually be open about talking about it. So only one in three would tell family, only one in three would tell friends, and one in three wouldn't, wouldn't even tell their sexual partner. Precisely. Why do you think women feel so unable to talk to people about this particular health issue? I think it's because of the silence. So there already is such a, such a great stigma around it. People don't see it as something that is very common. They don't really realise that so many women have already had an abortion and mm-hmm feel quite alone in talking about it and being open about it. And it's just having all sorts of um, preconceptions or certain expectations that stop them from from talking about it. So we're chatting on Friday the 13th, which has probably never been more apt, the day after the general election, (laughs) which means people like Nadine Doris and Jacob Rees-Mogg, who have been very, very vocal about taking away reproductive rights, abortion rights, are going to be in power for the next five years, at least... That's cheery, isn't it? (laughs) The UK is generally pro-choice nation, but we're not necessarily safe here, are we? No, we're not, especially, you know, if if we have a predominant voice coming from um, anti-choice campaigners, it is a threat. So this is why it's so important for us to give this this different perspective, to give this different uh, narrative, just to see that it's, you know, there's a different way of, of looking at this and it is, women's choice it's thinking about autonomy and you know being supported in whatever choice a woman needs to make about her body yeah you've mentioned them there there are some very vocal anti-choice voices threatening abortion rights across Mm. the world i mean ohio Mm. is basically a bin fire when it comes to this a lot of american states 
which are still legally required to provide abortions, are really trying to roll back on those women's rights. So it feels more important than ever, right? It is. It certainly is. And that's why we, you know, it's so important that we want to get this this um, campaign out there, um, get people talking about it. There's access to our website using the hashtag on social media, hashtag smash abortion stigma. The first step is really, you know, talking about it, just being open about it and getting that message out there that abortion is common, there's safe abortion out there and there's just different way of, of talking about this topic. Exactly, exactly. So if a woman has got into a situation where she's thinking she might need an abortion or she's going to have an abortion, what advice would you give to her about trying to talk to people or where she goes from there? So, you know, we have our, our website, which is marystopes.org slash stigma. We've got a contact centre, even just talking to friends, talking to family. There's so many different options out there. You know, you can decide to continue with the pregnancy, but if that's not for you, then there's other options that a woman can be supported with. So, you know, I'd say um, visit the website, talk to other women and just, you know, be open about it. How can people get involved? So they can get involved by visiting our website. Um, they can also get involved by using the hashtag Smash Abortion Stigma through social media, Twitter, Instagram and so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's all out there. I've seen a lot of women sharing personal stories, their, their real life experiences of abortion on the hashtag. Yes. It's very important to see that you're not alone in this. It is. It, it's so, it's that, yeah, it's so important to do that. And it's challenging the stigmatizing views as well. And that can also be done by using the right language. For example, using anti-abortion instead of saying pro-life. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just the little things that that get that momentum momentum going. Hey, Yvonne, let's take it one step further. Let's say anti-choice. That's where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like to say to women? And well, you're right, you said this earlier on, people, about why it is so important that we change this conversation. I think I'd also like to probably like to bring in that it's not just about the women who are accessing, but it's also the health healthcare professionals who, who work within abortion care. Um, so I guess I'll just bring in a bit of a, of a personal perspective. Previously, I have found it quite difficult to, or hesitant when people ask me what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I often find myself giving a very vague response of, oh, I work in sexual health and sort of, you know, move, move it along very quickly because I'm not always sure what sort of response I'm going to get. Yeah. But, you know, since the launch of this campaign, it's also made me think about myself and my practice. And, you know, we're trying to get women to talk about abortion and to to lift the stigma. But what am I doing about it myself? Um, So I find that I'm now, you know, very openly, honestly and proudly saying, yes, I work in abortion care. And, you know, that then causes people to ask questions, more questions. And it's not always been a negative response as, as what I've expected. So I do encourage, you know, other nurses, doctors, um, healthcare workers who work in abortion care to just be honest about it. And, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. We provide healthcare like any other doctor or nurse. Um, And then that will then, you know, show that this is something that is happening and let's not pretend it doesn't happen. Oh, that is fascinating. So you've really had to kind of dig deep within yourself as well. 
I have, yes. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yvonne, thank you so much for talking to us. It is such an important campaign and I urge anyone listening who has got a story they want to share or just needs to feel a little bit of solidarity in what can be a tricky time to visit the hashtag Smash Abortion Stigma. Lovely. Thanks a lot, Mickey. Thanks for having me. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny off the blocks, that time in the week where we talk all things women's sport. I know, I'm letting the side down a bit this week, but, but what can you do? So, did you watch it? The BBC Sports Personality of the Year Award? The event that always looks like it's been born from the mind of a man who was young in the 90s, even in the 80s. Princess Anne was there, having the same hair she's always had. Gabby Logan was making some very unfortunate slips of the tongue. Some old people were there, acting like your dad, making the simple act of opening an envelope uncomfortable viewing. There was music that was exclusively from what I'm going to say was a different time. There were also girls in football shirts, dancing in the name of empowerment. So that's nice. Ben Stokes won it. Lewis Hamilton came second, because of course he did. Dina Asher-Smith came third, despite deserving to win it, because of course she did. So when it comes to my personal sports personality of the year, personal personality, that's a lot, isn't it? It should really be Asher-Smith, and I've got a lot of time for her, and what she's done is amazing. She's the first British woman ever to win a world championship or Olympic title in a sprint distance after she took the gold in the 200 metres at this year's world championships. But she's not actually going to be my sports personality of the year because I love being controversial. No, that's that's not actually it. What Katarina Johnson-Thompson's done has been done before. I mean, she, she did set a new British record, to be fair, in the heptathlon when she won gold at the very same world championships this year. But that, you know, just winning gold there is... It's not a brand new thing for us, which you might remember some bird called Jess Ennis-Hill, who was quite good at the heptathlon. But that is exactly why KJT gets my vote. She's come up under the shadow of Ennis-Hill, which I'm sure in some respects is really helpful. You get the interest in the sport, the experience to learn from as well, but it's a lot of pressure in it. And she has had a bit of a shocker over the last couple of years with really disappointing results on the world stage. And she's made great personal sacrifices to better her game. I don't know, like moving to Montpellier. I don't really know if that's a massive sacrifice. My mum says it's well nice in Montpellier, but, you know, yeah, moving away to improve herself rather than just going, yeah, maybe it's not for me. Though she has said that she did actually consider giving up. And I'm a bit of a sucker for a triumph over adversity story. She's had an excellent year. It's great to go into the Tokyo Olympics next year off the back of that. She's a grafter and an excellent role model and ambassador for the sport. So, yeah, my sporty bird of the year is Katrina Johnson-Thompson, and I'm sure she will be ever so delighted to hear it. Now, I've arbitrarily decided to pick a second woman of the year from the world of sports, and there are many I could choose from, but partly because she's had a blinding year in her domestic league, not so much at the World Cup, but whatever, partly because I think she's great, partly because there is just no glory in being a defender, my second award goes to Lucy Bronze. She won the League One title with Lyon in France this year and indeed the Champions League. 
She was great at the World Cup, but sadly it didn't come together for the rest of the team. And she deserves to finish in a higher position than Megan Sodding Rapino in something. Because she's a better footballer, chill out guys. I also think she's a fantastic ambassador for football and women's sport more generally. She's become one of those early doors household names in women's football, which has had a huge impact in terms of increasing the popularity of the game. And what a year it's been in that respect. I mean, there are heaps of other England players that deserve credit for that. Steph Horton, Ellen White, Frank Kirby, Nikita Paris. I could go on. I think it's really exciting that so many of these women are so widely known in the UK and beyond now. I want to give a couple of honourable mentions. Jamie Chadwick, who won the inaugural W Series this year. It will be super interesting to see what happens to her in the next couple of years and see if she can break through into Formula One. Coco Goff, who burst onto the scene at Wimbledon this year, beating her idol Venus Williams. Can't wait to watch her progression. Sky Brown, the 11-year-old skateboarder who's on track to become the youngest female Olympian in Tokyo next year. I mean, that is just crazy. And there's a lot to look forward to. And I will be there to guide you through it all next year when we return. Starting with a quiz of the year. That's 2019. It'd be weird to have one about 2020 when it hasn't happened yet. And that will come to you on New Year's Day. Ooh. So thanks for listening to all of my sporty bants over the last year. And until next time. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disaster. Dunleavy, apart from the obvious one that's happened to society, Uh, what disaster have we been watching this week? Well, we were going to watch Earthquake, and then we came up against exactly the same problem that we had watching the Poseidon Adventure, is it's easy to decide you're going to watch something. Finding a version of it somewhere online is slightly harder. So we struggled to find Earthquake, and then the general election was looming, and we just panicked and watched something that was on Netflix. So this week we watched... 2009 Roland Emmerich film 2012, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Which is, again, well, we've seen, I don't even need to explain what Roland Emmerich is now because we've, we've watched so many of them. Apparently, this was the highest grossing film of the year in 2009. Where was I in 2009 that I'd never even really heard of this? Did you not? I mean, I think... I think I'd seen it, you know, maybe an advert or a poster or something, but the idea that it was a thing that the most people went to see in 2009 surprises me. I'd definitely heard of it, but I I think when I think of it in my brain, it's like interchangeable with whatever the fuck it was we watched the other week about the Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, the day after tomorrow. Yeah. Well, they kind of are. I mean, again, it's... I mean, this film is so long. It's way too long. That's the most important thing to say about this. It also doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. But in a kind of example, um, just an explanation of what of who's in it, what it is. Um, again, great cast. It is star-studded. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, John Cusack, I'm not a huge fan of. But that's oh, I like of, John Cusack. Yeah, mm. well, I used to be... I mean, like, obviously, gross point blank, yes. big heart. But on the other hand, he said some weird things on Twitter. Um, I'm trying not to think too hard about. So let's concentrate on the people that are actually, you know, good in it. And by good, I mean usually good, but not given much to work with here. Chiwetel Ejiofor, Taddy Newton, Woody Harrelson, Tom McCarthy <laughs> and Danny Glover are all doing a great job. And little Liam James. Have you ever seen The Way Way Back? No. Nope. Oh, it's a great film. Really great. Uh, Jim Rash, who is... Oh, from Community. From Community, is also on the side, a writer and a director, and he made a film with Liam James as, when he was slightly older, which is called Way We're Back. Is it's that the really kid yes. in it? He's the little boy in it. Um, He's recognisable, but I couldn't place him. 
yeah. Uh, um, well, I think he must do other stuff as well. Mm. But, the little um, kid called Noah. Me. Yeah. Um, yeah, on the nose. Okay, so basically <laughs> what happens is Jimmy Mystery is digging in India and he With dis- the worst Indian accent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he discovers that solar flares are heating up the Earth's core. I mean, there's one for Jen. Bad science alert. I mean, how that would even work, I don't know. It's he- heating up like a microwave. Yeah. He tells Chiwetel Ejiofor, who's a scientist, who then goes back to meet the important people in America and tell them the world's fucked, the Mayan prophecy is coming true, we're all going to be done by 2012. So they decide to build these arcs, but rather than tell the world, what they're going to do is they're just going to build these arcs and really rich people are going to go and live on them. Now, I have one question. Nine arcs mm-hmm. can take 100,000 people each. That's mm-hmm. nearly a million people. And a ticket on one of these arcs costs a billion do you know how many billionaires there are in the world? Just out of interest. Not as many as it's that. It's like 151 in the UK or something. Uh, there's 2,604 right. in the entire world. So actually there'd be quite a lot of space on those boats. Also, those boats wouldn't cost billions of pounds to make. But what would be the point of having money in a post sort of apocalyptic world, really? Yeah, yeah. like some people get a free ride, like who are deemed important. Yeah. So, you know, they're yeah. just like, could you know... Oliver Platt, our cold-blooded villain, the chief of staff. Yeah. He has clearly not paid a billion pounds or dollars or any kind of money to get on there. And you take all your family, like the horrible Russian man. With no, no, he had to pay kids. a billion pounds yeah, each. He had to pay a billion what? pounds each. Yeah, which is why she doesn't get a ticket. Yeah. Anyway, and then basically what happens is the world basically just disintegrates around the main characters in this film who are... Rather stereotypically, a divorced dad, and that he's played by John Cusack, and his whose ex-wife is now living with another man. And the weird thing about this is, we're supposed to think he's a dick, but yeah. I actually think he's really nice. Gordon. Gordon's no, nice. I think we're supposed to think Gordon's nice and think John Cusack's a bit of a dick. Oh, no, oh no, I thought the other. I thought the opposite. Oh. I thought we were supposed well, the, to think the little boy Noah really likes Gordon, and that's why he's on. He's, he's yeah, got but that's, with you're supposed to feel sorry for the dad then because mm. like he's been replaced by this other yeah. guy who actually cares about his children. He's a bit. He does do. He does have a couple of dick moves, as they say. Like yeah. he does try to sort of fly away before they know that he's like safe. Yeah, but the, the, but that, the, I mean the world is exploding. the world is literally <laughs> exploding next to them, and he's there to save like like Cusack's not his family. No, but the rest of his family are a bit like, can we not just give it a sec? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I think I'd rather go. I think the fact he was prepared to try and fly a plane yeah. while yeah. the world was collapsing around him on two hours training wasn't wasn't bad going, <laughs> if I'm honest. I'm going to throw it out I liked there. Gordon. I liked Gordon. I didn't have a problem with him. <laughs> Still, he died a hideous death so that John Cusack could get together with his ex-wife again. So within within right. minutes. Yeah. It, was, it really it didn't was very take fast. There was a very, yeah. very brief morning period. Yeah. There was. Literally, More... it wasn't even a morning period. No. It was just a question, where's Gordon? Oh, he's dead. He's dead. More interestingly, right. what I want to know is... Is when they all get on the uh, the arcs at the end, right? And then obviously there's the drama, 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 drama. It's only a minute, only a minute. Everybody panic. Actually, that's been four and a half minutes. He said there's only a minute, but never mind. Panic, 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 right? And then you come back, it's 27 days later, right? And they're allowed to go outside. They found the Cape of Good Hope. Everything's really nice. Chiwetel Ejiofor asks Tandy Newton out. Why did he sit on that for 27 days? Exactly, he said exactly the same. Exactly it. He said exactly I've got other same. questions. Why are there no railings on that fucking boat when they open the windows? <laughs> and also, the end. Oh, it's great. We're going to go to Africa. We're going to colonise yeah. Africa yeah. again. That's awkward, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. This film doesn't make a lot of sense, but I do know a fun fact. Well, it's most definitely not fun, but it is a fact. Apparently, this film was banned in North Korea because 2012 was like the 100th anniversary of something, probably the birth of Kim Sung, Sun Il, the one that came before this one. The first Kim. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Kim, Kim Kardashian. Yeah, that one. Kim Wilde. I think it's him. It might not be. We might have gone through trying to find that name for no good reason. But I think it was like the 100th year of his birth. So they didn't think, nothing that said that 2012 was bad was allowed in North Korea. And yet apparently some people did get pirated copies of this film and circulate it in North Korea. And they were sent to like the death, the death camps. For doing it. I was what joking. A dis- what enough. a fucking film to, to have been sent to a death yeah, camp Yeah, to lose your life what over. What a waste. I'm a little bit upset that you refer to that as a fun fact. No, I did not. <laughs> people, I did, I did come with a dis- I came with a disclaimer said it's absolutely not fun, but it is a fact. Yeah, that's awful. Anyway, I mean, this has got to be a film that uh, can only possibly be redeemed by the appearance of Woody Harrelson, which most films are... And only when he's on the screen, really. He's amazing, isn't it? It does. There's like no. There's so much going on, right? That I don't understand. So basically, the plane takes off, right? Takes off into the air, right? And then the ground falls away from them, yeah. right? But they're still in the air. But then weirdly, they're flying upwards, and there's buildings falling down on top of them. Even though, like, why are those buildings up in the air? Because they would have been down on the ground. No, that's not. I Most mean, of it doesn't make any. That's not what happened. It's because sense. they the the ground falls and the the plane isn't in the sky. The plane is now where the ground used to be, and they're trying to get up because there's a suck pulling them the plane down. But then you can also see loads of ground high up. I don't know. It looks like You're a Star right. Wars. Lit, yeah. It's like a Star Wars fighter plane. Yeah. It's fucking stupid. I'm going with another provably bad science there. I think there's a lot of it in this film, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, it's got a great wave in it. I can say that looks quite... He's good at waves, isn't he? He is good at waves. That's he loves a wave, does Emmerich. He does. Um, yeah, I mean, loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of people die, clearly. Cause it's quite that's, bleak. It is, it is quite bleak. Also, the way he does it, um, Jen and I chatted about this because we actually watched this one together, but the way he does it is he picks them off and it's almost like in a horror film. Mm. And I think it's really mean-spirited. I, do, yeah, I don't and like find the end all. of the world, but in like the day after tomorrow, the people we're with end up quite cheap they, they all survive kind yeah. of thing but in this one he's picking people off and really gruesome deaths as well yeah that there's a focus on like when Gordon yeah there's a and families Tam- as well like Tamara yeah. was she called Tamara oh the, yeah the Russian yeah. lady when oh, she yeah. died like it, nobody even mentioned it she just died yeah. and nobody mentioned it nobody grieved her nothing you just get the shot of her like literally drowning yeah. and holding onto under the a railings. giraffe yeah, yeah. The bridge under a giraffe yeah which I did think for a moment that'll save her I don't know how I thought a giraffe I, was yeah. going to make the grating mm. but I thought that'll save her that would have made the film I reckon like 17 times better yeah I'd although have probably through, five minutes longer I'd have sat through two hours if a giraffe oh, saved a woman yeah. that's yeah. amazing because obviously they're on an ark, so there had to be yeah, animals. Because get this, they've taken giraffes, they've taken them to the Himalayas and put them on a boat in order to take them back to Africa where they started. Anyway, should we go to the list? I think I think you've both done well on this. No, I've done really poorly. You've got you haven't just got a captain that goes down with a ship, you've got a captain that goes down under a ship. <laughs> Oh, the you've got loads yeah. of captains that go yeah, down with loads of Yeah, but I only get one mark for each one, yeah, so that's there's quite true. a lot of, like... Okay, 
old person sacrifice. Well, I mean, I don't know if they sacrificed themselves, but those two old guys just died. I mean, so Danny that we Glover's... could be entertained by the death of people. Quite no, old. I mean, Chewie Tell Ejafor's dad. And then oh, the yeah. random guy who, who phones his son phones and hears him die <laughs> over yeah. the phone. Yeah, that was nice. a nice touch. I've never spoken to my granddaughter. Oh, she's gone. Thing you could, <laughs> thing you can't do, meaning you definitely die in this film. Fly a plane. There were a lot of traffic jams. That's the thing about disasters; they yeah. cause them. Mm. Um, my eyes, the CGI. There was Awful. too much. It was too much. Cassandra ignored, not just a Cassandra. Woody Harrelson, Cassandra ignored. <laughs> Only uncanny prediction of real life disaster. Well, I mean, I kind of at the time they made this. Like, there were still people who actually were like, oh, yeah, the world's totally going to end in 2012, dudes. And there are some people possibly wishing it did. Yeah, so, I'm just really cross that they ruined 2012, because that was the no. last good time that we had. Do you mean they ruined the Olympics, Jen? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they did. We'd be really angry by that. Yeah. So uh, postpone um, them. Adopt brace position. We've got, literally got a million people adopting brace position. Shame star. Yes, I'm taking John Cusack. So I am on nine, Ooh. if you can believe it. You always say I don't think I've done very well and then nail it. Yeah. Well, that's because I forget what's on my list. It's literally in front of you. Yeah. Jen, do you want to go next? Um, uh, is there a tunnel only an idiot would go through? I can't think of one. Brexit analogy, well, it was quite a good warm-up for the election that then happened the night after we watched it. Also, it was very much the few rather than the many. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to take that. Um, I wish that guy was the actual president. yes. I do. He was lovely. Yeah. Uh, piss poor English. There wasn't a piss. There was a really awful Indian accent. There was the Queen. Did she talk? No. She just had a, a corgi. I just thought I'd say that. Corgis, she just I handled the corgi. Corgis yeah. are. They're quite big. Mm. Anyway. My granddad used to have one. Did he? Yeah, she was called what? Cassie. Was she a good... Oh, my God. She, my granddad had, like, 40 grandchildren. Like, that poor dog permanently had something riding on its back, holding its ears out. I mean, she was bloody lovely. <laughs> oh. Um, there were a lot of helicopters. Yeah, event that is too important. No, uh, there's so much provably bad science. Um, I don't think there was a weather geek. I don't think that counts. He was just a science geek, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, this disaster saved our relationship. It did. It saved um, John Cusack and little boy's relationship, but also him and his wife, who didn't give a fuck about Gordon after four seconds. She, um, she loved him enough. Clearly, he didn't love. Can you smell burning? Like literally everywhere. Um, so, lots of sobbing children but wait we're not finished yet fucking hell I wish we had finished like a solid hour before I don't think there is a, a full storm, storm no there isn't a you full storm you don't think no. but they all get on the ark and then you're like oh we're safe now oh no we have to let more people on oh we're safe now no, oh no the door won't close oh we're safe now oh no Mount Everest is in front oh, no, of us no, I, don't think, I don't think no I don't think they're false dawns false, false dawn is when they come out at the end of uh, Godzilla and go hooray and then you see the eggs cracking yeah. open uh, what I have written down here is but wait we're not finished yet aka the false dawn aka this could have been over too like this film could have been a lot shorter well, you've managed to put about four different things into one box there I'm yeah. impressed I think that there's the false dawns at the end but okay uh, I don't think I've got nine anyway so have you filled any more in your box? No. I kept napping I started to think that, that Queen Impersonator wouldn't be a bad thing <laughs> yeah. to be in a box because she keeps turning Here's up. Here's Liz. Yeah. I've got seven, eight if you included that one, but I haven't won it anyway, so it doesn't matter. I have got Pet Survives Carnage. Always. Always. Uh, well done, little doggo. And Giraffe. <laughs> yeah, not a pet, though. I don't know. You have to, it has to be specifically a pet. Nature, you cruel mistress. Nature, you absolute bastard. Yeah. 
Um, they say you're a cunt. Farewell, Major Landmark. Well, absolutely. There's a there's a real delight he takes in fucking over various bits of the world. I don't like this man, you know. This no. one was, um, I don't know, I quite enjoyed watching uh, St. Peter's Basilica fall. You know, maybe that's just me. Christ well, the Redeemer off his perch. Yeah. yeah. Um, off he went. All of California just into yeah. the sea. Um, so that's one, two, three, bridge collapse, yes. Uh, but that's sort of within the carnage, so I do feel a bit cheeky, but I'm not going to win. Um, Captain willing to go down with ship, plane, building, absolutely. Could title be a form- porn film title? Sadly not. Um, I think I've only got five. Wouldn't 2012 be a really boring sounding porn film? Unless that's how many people are involved. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I would say that I get to pick them, but, of course, we were off for a few weeks now, so um, what I might have to do is actually have a little route around to see if I can right. actually fucking find something see that what's we can what. watch from the 1970s. We certainly haven't seen um, any... We haven't seen any of those sort of 90s ones, I want we? to see Contagion. That's supposed to be pretty good. I'd like to see a good one. <gasps> is that the one with the monkey? Is that outbreak? Is that oh, one? Outbreak. Does that count? I don't know. Because I've watched that again. Uh, Contagion's similar. I was trying to persuade myself that Con Air counted, but it doesn't. No, we were trying to work out. Well, Jen was working out whether Jurassic Park counted, because it is sort of disaster. Or Snakes on a Plane, but Snakes oh on a Plane God. pitches itself as a thriller. Oh my God! <laughs> I fucking love. That. I went to see it the day it came out at midnight. It was amazing. It's like no, it's terrible. Weirdly sexualized, isn't it? Oh, it's really porny. Oh, the snakes are snakes like... Snakes on a plane is definitely like, the title of a porn film. Bite her on the tit. I'm going to bite him on the nub. I'm going to like just yeah. bite it like... Sexy yeah. snakes on the sexy plane, Jen. Sexy times. The horror. Standard issue for all women.